five, four, three, two. You know, I've been wanting to do that since episode one. <laughs> There's something in me that makes you feel like a DJ. And and again, Dr. Delight, feel it. This is like the best. You, you, you can't deny it. There's no other podcast that you listen to with this hype of an intro song. I'm all in. I've been wanting to do that since episode one, and I just did it. Welcome, mis amigos and amigas, to episode 15 of the Human Hope Podcast with your host, Carlos Enrique Whitaker Guzman Archibol Cabello, or Los for short. If you're a first-time listener, I'm so grateful that you've honored me with 44.79 seconds of your day. Hopefully, you'll stick a little bit longer. This is episode 15. We're, we're episode 15, guys. Like We're like deep into the teenage years of the podcast now. Like our voice is like done changing. Uh, although for me, like when I was 15, my voice hadn't changed yet. But Wayne Dumas, homeboy, not only was his voice changing, but like homeboy had like a mustache at 12, right? I was like way delayed on that. That's not what we want to talk about today. What we do want to talk about today is my incredible guest. This this may be, again, I don't want to bite off too, more than I could chew, but this may be the shortest intro because I want to get right into the conversation today. Um, but I do want to talk about for a second, just for one small second, the last seven days since the podcast aired. Okay, last, last, last week's podcast kind of blew up. You guys are sharing that thing, Kill the Spider, right? Don't clean the cobwebs, kill the spider. I mean, there was some breakthrough. Spider is an agreement you've made with the lie. A cobweb is a medicating behavior. A lot of you guys realize, oh my gosh, I have been, just been cleaning the cobwebs. I've just been getting rid of the medicating behavior instead of finding the lie. And I love, I love, I love teaching on that because it is for so many people, that's the only thing they need to hear and bam, change happens. Now, um, I did this week go record a podcast with my friends at Onsite. Now, if you read my book, Kill the Spider, Onsite is a seven-day experiential therapy program that I went to that I is the is the story arc of Kill the Spider. And I went there and I recorded a, a podcast with Lindsay Nobles, just a great, great friend of mine. Um, and it was awesome, but it brought back all the feels. Um, I, I did not record the podcast last week knowing that I was going to be going to uh, on site this week, but man, I, I drove back up on that campus. I got to bring my wife and my son and my son was like, dad, where are we? I was like, remember that place where daddy went that changed his life? He's like, oh yeah. <laughs> and so it just was, it was awesome. And I just appreciate you guys letting me be vulnerable. And I appreciate the feedback and hearing how much that has actually helped you guys. So remember, keep at it, right? Keep at it. Find that spider, break the agreement with the lie, find some freedom. But after the podcast went live last week, <clears throat> I had, excuse me, like one of the worst travel experiences of the last two years, just, just delay after delay it was the first time in the history of me being a professional speaker. Can you be a professional? I guess I'm professional. That two flight delays made me miss my keynote address at the Christian Broadcasters um, convention down in Orlando, Florida, Momentum 21. I apologize off Jump Street. I apologize. You know, and and I, I guess why I say it was the worst travel experience wasn't because my Delta flights were late. Okay, Th that happens. But it was because a woman on the back of my second flight refused to do something that everybody knows you have to do when you get on an airplane. 
And because she refused, it took two hours for, for them to get her off the plane and for us to take off. And because of that, yes, I missed my keynote. I was fired up. I was angry. But I miss her human hope, right? Like I miss her, you know, don't stand on issues, but walk with people. If I could have walked with that woman out that gate, I'd, I'd have helped. But she was like screaming stuff about Fauci emails and masks and stuff when she was getting dragged off the flight. And I just was like, I just want to get to Orlando. So here's the thing, guys. If you know you're going to get on an airplane and you don't want to wear a mask, I don't care what you believe left or right, up or down about a mask. But if you get on an airplane, there's hundreds of other people that are depending on you to put that thing across your nose and your lips. Or else we ain't taking off. And, and you know, poor lady, she's, she's arrested, probably going to be banned for life. Rent a car. Rent a car. Rent a car. You know, I got so many messages from people that are like, listen, I, I, I don't believe in masks. I'm not a masker. But if I'm a fly, I'm going to put my mask on because it's not about me. It's bigger, right? Oh, people, can we think about other people for just a minute? Um, especially in situations like that. I, that got me fired up. But I made it to Orlando, but I missed my talk. So I had a nice evening in Orlando. And then next day, flew to West Monroe, Louisiana. And I was there for Bella Robertson at the time, uh, her wedding. So our friends, our dear friends, Corey and Willie Robertson, yes, from Duck Dynasty, um, they, their youngest daughter got married. Uh, Bella, I think is 18. She may be 19, but I think she's 18. And you know what? I ain't mad at it, man. Like I actually, you know, I, I feel like my mom got married at 19 and so many people be giving people a hard time for getting married so young. And I'm like, listen, if you know, go for it. I actually think it's a good thing to get married early. Do it. So like if, if, you know, if, if you know somebody that gets married early, quote unquote early for us. Don't give them a hard time and celebrate them. So we had a good time celebrating. And it, listen, if you're 48 and you're not married yet, that ain't too late either. It ain't too early. It ain't too late. All right. I got all you guys up in here or don't get married at all. And I love you guys so much that I have brought onto the show today. My, my, my. And, you know, before the interview, I was like, I love her. But after the interview, I'm like, I love her. Not like in like a creepy way, right? She's got like one of the most attractive husbands on the planet. But I'm just saying like, I love our guest today. Her name is, oh, before I tell you your name, she, her title is Infectious Disease Epidemiologist and Science Communication Lead at the COVID Tracking Project. Now, that's just kind of like her most recent work. but this. This woman, this woman is one of the smartest, most encouraging, most studied and researched epidemiologists out there. And she tells it like it is with grace. What I love about how she talks about science is she's not about it to shame people. Ain't nobody getting shamed here, okay? But she... uh She's a scientist, and I brought her on here to talk to us about infectious disease. Yes, about COVID. Yes, about those things. But I also wanted to know her story, the humanness behind her. And what I'm excited about is I think I think Jessica, uh, Jessica, again, is her name. I, I guess I haven't introduced her. Jessica, just like Pilati, Malati, Rivera. Okay, Jessica Malati Rivera. 
she um, has become a dear friend over the course of, the, of a year. I say dear friend as much as you can become a dear friend on Instagram. But after today, she's all, all deep up in the friendship with me. And she's, she's just a compassionate uh, human being that has done so much for planet Earth and humanity. More than, you, more than any of us will ever honestly know. Um, and I'm just so grateful that she gave us a little bit of her time. Now, here's the deal. I need you to know, okay? I need you to know, please. I know that COVID, infectious diseases, Fauci, I, I know all the trigger words, right? Masks. I know that there's a lot of you guys that don't fall into the line of thinking that Jessica does. But please, can you do me a favor? As I ask all the time, listen to understand. That's it. That's all I'm asking. I'm not even asking you to change your mind. Okay. Y'all know if you follow me on Instagram that I have thoughts and I'm a big believer in science and I'm a big believer in these vaccines and I'm a big believer in that. Right. I, I, I actually, my wife still has not gotten the vaccine. My wife, okay? She is not as big of a believer as me. And guess what? We can coexist and be in love and root for each other and be married and all sorts of things. And we have a difference of opinions on this stuff. So if my wife and I can have a difference of opinion on this stuff, can you please, for the love of everything good and holy, Trust me, trust me, trust me when I tell you that this is actually going to be very good for you no matter what side of whatever it is that you fall on. Trust me when I say, please listen to this conversation, not to change your mind, but just so you can understand, right? That's the whole goal. It's, it's, it's what we need to do more of. And today may be just the opportunity for you to grow in your skill set of listening to understand to somebody that you may not agree with. Now, there's going to be a lot of you guys that that do and and th- that do agree with her, but then there's also a lot of you guys that have asked some questions and I read a lot of your questions and some of these questions are are like directly opposing Jessica's point of view and I read them to her anyway and I allowed her to answer them. So, I love that. I asked her some really hard questions and she gave fantastic answers. So, guys, let's just get right into it. Um, ladies and gentlemen, kick your shoes off. Unless you got some stinky feet. Sit back, relax, and enjoy this human hope conversation with our great, great friend, Jessica Malari Rivera. Take it away, amigos. Okay, fam, we we have my, uh, I, I, I always say one of my favorite humans on planet Earth, uh, but literally, not only favorite, but maybe most appreciated humans on planet Earth. Uh, and that is Jessica Malati, like Pilates, Rivera. <laughs> Jessica, say hi to the Human Hope fam. Hello, everyone. Thanks for having oh, me, Carlos. You are quite welcome, most welcome. Um, you have been a, literally, people, if they're anything like me, when COVID hit, uh, and I don't know when when I found you, but it was pretty soon, I think, after COVID. I think my mom had COVID, and I was freaking out trying to find somebody to help me. Uh, and I and I found you some somehow, and you were you were doing these Q and As. You were um, you were just having people ask you things. And at the time, I I don't know if a lot of people even knew what epidemiologists were, could even pronounce it. Um, but you were somebody that actually went to school 
to study whatever was happening inside of the human body. And so tell us really quickly, because I'm going to get to some of your like just early years and your life in general in a second, but tell us really quickly about how and and when you kind of became, you know, Sharon, Sharon McMahon is kind of like America's government teacher. You're like America's science teacher. So like, like <laughs> how, how did, how did that happen? Yeah. You know, I mean, taking it back a bit, I studied science throughout my life. I mean, I majored in bio and public health as an undergrad. And yeah. then several years later, I went to grad school and studied something very specific, uh, very applicable, emerging infectious diseases. Oh, emerging and, even. Yeah, like literally new diseases that jump from animals to humans and become <laughs> pandemics. Like I studied this. <laughs> that is amazing. In a, yeah. oh no, well, just, 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 I'd say in a second, you're going to tell us, wait, why, why did that become the thing that you said? Why did you become, did, didn't I, did I read somewhere that you literally were like a, um, f- for the, that movie that came out, like you were a, a consultant. Yeah. 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 I consulted on that. You were, a, you consulted on contagion, the movie. Yes, I did. And it was while I was at Georgetown in grad oh. school, I, the way that that happened. So I got really interested as an undergrad. I was pre-med like most, okay. you know, first generation kids who are good at science and math. I had like yeah. one course to do. So, uh, but realized <laughs> I didn't want to go to med school and to my parents' dismay, decided to kind of detour into like a health and human rights kind of, you know, ex- exploration. Yeah. And it was there when I learned a lot about, you know, tropical diseases and infectious diseases and things that were much more interesting to me than just the clinical side. I really loved the research side of it. And so I, um, I speak a few languages and I was recruited by Georgetown to be part of this analyst team that was basically translating news from all over the world on outbreaks in animals and humans and even plants um, to kind of make sense of what could be possible threats. So I was recruited to speak to translate things in Arabic and Spanish wow. uh, into English reports. That's kind of how I became a science communicator, uh, translating them into these like very quick summaries and 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 grading them using the system that we had to kind of um, detect the emergence of new outbreaks. And our team actually detected the emergence of the 2009 H1N1 pandemic. Your team did? Yeah. That's amazing. That yeah. is incredible. So, okay. So, okay. So you're, you're at Georgetown, you're, you know, you're studying this stuff. Your team just happens upon through your research, you know, H1N1 and, um, and then you're, you, what you, are you married at this point? Are you, you know, falling in love yeah. with your man? I mean, first of all, let's, let's, let's all talk about it. Let, I know because because I'm a dude that has a man crush on your husband. You you're married to like one of the most attractive human beings on planet Earth. Every time I see this man on your Instagram, I'm like, wow, like why did I get some goosebumps? This man is a very good looking. He is a very good looking human being. So you can tell him I said that. He really is. I will. I will. I um kind of love uh, exploiting him as eye candy because I couldn't agree more. <laughs> he's like bringing you. He's like bringing you. You guys go. He's bringing you drinks by the pool. You're oh, yeah. like, yeah, ladies. I got a, I got a pool boy. He is. Oh yeah, he's he my COVID banana boy. 100%. Oh yeah. That is that is that's so good. Okay, so keep going. Keep going. 
Yeah. So, um, you know, just to be clear, that team was like a large team of analysts who did incredible work. It wasn't a small team it, and it was funded very generously by the U.S. government, which is, you know, of course, another reason why we were so unprepared for COVID. Uh, that kind of research had eventually dried out, unfortunately. Wow. But I was in D.C. and um, actually preparing to move to Europe to pursue a Ph.D. program and was like kind of done with my D.C. days. And then I met Joshua. And a mutual friend introduced us. And Carlos, I'm telling you, if you had told me the day before I met him that I would be <laughs> married to him within a year, I would have said you're on a substance. No way. No and way. sure enough, yeah, we were. We started dating. We got engaged about six months later. We got married about six months after that. And okay. we've been married for eight years now. Eight years now. And so, uh, I mean, I don't know. Like, I don't know if people ask you this, but take it. Take us back. Why in the world would you say there's no way I'm going to marry this guy in a year? Like, like, what, what were you? Were you just thinking like I, my stage of life? What I'm kind, my goals and dreams just aren't uh, setting me up to be married in a year. Or was it like, nah, this dude's going to have to work a little bit harder than a year? No, it wasn't him. It was that I didn't think that my husband was like in the DC area. I had dated a Got bunch it. at the time, and I was like, he's just not here, and I'm just going to go ahead and finish my you know studies and like focus on me and you know, very, very much got this like rebuke from God and like, oh, you think you're a unicorn? Here you go. <laughs> Let me send you the male unicorn. I'm going to, that is, that is amazing. What, what, uh, what, what does your husband do? Do you even tell people this? I do. He's a lawyer. Um, okay. he used to do like big law stuff. That's why we moved to New York and we lived there for about six years. Um, okay. but now he works in the kind of financial tech space. In okay. The Bay Area. That, which is, which is, uh, and you guys, your home is in the the Bay Area? It is technically there. We kind of, uh, you know, relocated to the Los Angeles area to be close to family and kind of ride out the pandemic because yeah. we don't have a lot of family in the Bay. But yeah. yeah, our plan is to go back in the fall. Okay. 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 So, sorry. Okay. So, so you, you end up with unicorn hot husband and <laughs> you guys are, you guys are on your way. You're doing life. You moved to New York for a few years. What what are you doing in the meantime here? What what's 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 happening in your world? Yeah. So um, I you know I, after Georgetown I worked at a vaccine biotech, and then after that I did a lot of work in science communication because I had basically you know created this skill set, learned this skill set from my work at Georgetown, and even at the biotech I was doing comms for them. Um, I started doing uh, healthcare PR, uh, essentially okay. working with clients who needed. Translation of anything from like white papers and clinical data to everything from press releases to social media, wow. um, working on the kind of technical high science side and making sure that the the science wasn't lost, but that it was accessible to wide audiences. And I did that for several years. Wow. Science communication. So like that's a thing that's actually it's, thing. it's not only a thing. I don't want to get so ahead of myself here, but it's so freaking necessary. Can can there be some 18 year olds out there that love science that can like, like follow in your footsteps? We need more people communicating accurately what's actually happening, you know? And so, um, okay. So here you are writing press releases, helping a wider audience understand sciencey stuff. Uh, mm -hmm. guys like me that say sciencey need people like you <laughs> to be able to, uh, help us. So, okay. Continue on. Cause uh, again, I, I want you to kind of take us to, to when suddenly, you know, this, this coronavirus becomes a thing. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, at my time in very kind of, you know, drenched in the emerging infectious disease space, I developed a really wonderful community from professors to colleagues, to people I met at medical meetings when we would go and present papers and stuff. And, um, 
Fast forward to December of 2019. I'm still, you know, this whole time on all the listservs for my Infectious Disease Society research group and this and that and the other. And so December, mid-December 2019, I got an email from one of the listservs I'm a part of about this like kind of undifferentiated pneumonia-like disease that was reported in Wuhan, China. And I was like, that's interesting. Wonder if it's going to be like SARS or something. And yeah. immediately went to Twitter and looked up my colleagues, my old professors, and just kind of see what the whisperings were maybe about. And sure enough, it was kind of like, oh yeah, we got to follow this. Could be like something yeah. like SARS. Could be influenza. We just don't know yet. But I was tracking it very closely because you know it was causing, at least in my space, a lot of communication. This was like, I guess yeah, December, like January. You know, we see. I'd see a couple people. I travel the whole time. I'd see a couple people wearing masks. More people than normal wearing masks on airplanes, you know, and, and I remember like um, I went and got a mask that it was like a sponge mask, like a uh, like just a spongy material. And I remember being so proud of myself, like, oh, I, honestly, kind of like whatever foam is on the front of this microphone I'm speaking into right now was what my mask was was made of. And I I had a doctor friend of mine that just very politely was like, hey, bro, like that ain't going to do nothing for you. Um <laughs> And, uh, and then so like, like now the consciousness in America is growing, right? Like we're, we're starting, people are starting to be like, okay, wait a second. You have president Trump. Um, you know, he's, you know, he's like, oh, it's not a big deal. It's not coming here. And I remember like praying with everything, like, oh, please let this man be right. You know? And, uh, now, now take us into February, March. Yeah. For you, for your world, for your world. Totally. So, I mean, at this point, I'm keeping up with the email notifications and checking Twitter like every couple of days to kind of see if there's anything on this. And I remember going to wine country in February with a few girlfriends for like a bachelorette weekend. And yeah. one of the girls on the trip was like really, really panicked, like super panicked to the point where she actually was thinking about not going to the wedding that we were all planning on going to in March. Yeah. And, um, was hearing things about like needing to buy masks. And at that point there was already hoarding of masks and hoarding of PPE that was very concerning, which is why, and if we're going to go there, a lot of the communications about that was like, please don't do this because we don't want to create shortages for those people who may need it, which are healthcare professionals. Right. And, you know, again, this is kind of where science communication has often been an afterthought in public health emergencies. Mm. They could have said it better and they could have waited to use kind of superlative language on like, don't buy them. They don't work. Uh, right. We didn't have the data really yet, but we also knew that people were behaving in a way that was very problematic and that they were, you know, causing shortages and stockpiling yeah. on things that they did not need. Wow. Wow. Yeah. You know, um, you, um, you know, as I'm thinking back and all of us, all the podcast listeners, as, as, as we're thinking back, cause it does feel like an entire trilogy of movies ago, right. When, yeah. when I can, when I can remember I was on, I was on tour and I remember, like, they canceled the tour in the middle of it. I come home. There's lines out of Kroger. Um, yeah. Wh- when did you? Wh- when did you go? Holy crap! We're we're in trouble. Wh- when did that happen? March eighth. March eighth, twenty twenty. I know the tell, date. Tell me about. We tell were, me about the. We had gone to that wedding, uh, and we were flying back, and about. Maybe 15% of the plane was like the, you know, panicked mask, gloves, you know, goggles. Oh, yeah. Yeah, You know, and yeah. And at that point, I was like, you know, this was maybe a little bit risky to go. And we landed back at SFO and I looked at my husband after getting some notifications on my phone. I said, it's about to go down. And I don't think we're going to be traveling for a long time. And I think it was like 48 hours later in San Francisco when the city went on, you know, shelter in place. 
Um, yeah. I, I'm very, uh, you know, mindful of not using the word lockdown because there yeah. are places in the world who actually did go through lockdown. Like we Absolutely. have not experienced a true lockdown, Absolutely. but for many people, what did happen, shelter in place and stay at home orders was extremely jar- uh, jarring. And I'm not dismissing that, but, um, when it first happened in early March, I thought, okay, if we can get, you know, things under control And in my mind, I was hoping that we were doing the kind of testing and tracing and isolating that was necessary to kind of like prevent it from silently spreading all over the country. Uh, Sadly, we were not doing that. Um, That that kind of was just a pause that didn't do much good in the end. Wow. So you're saying that that you're you're hoping at this moment, March 8th, 10th, 15th, uh, you're hoping that there is some sort of very focused tracing. do, in your opinion, were we did we have the assets available to us? Did we have the intel available to us to be able to do that sort of tracking in that moment? That's an amazing question, Carlos, that I think yeah. we'll be trying to answer for a long time. I think some of the answers are pretty clear that yeah. we had basically devalued public health in the yeah. con- in the in the space of you know specific biosurveillance and detecting pandemics. We had a whole task force that was just basically um, you know, dissolved. And that put us at a huge disadvantage. Um, We, you know, the reason why the COVID tracking project started was because, you know, the two journalists that started at the Atlantic were just trying to find a single source of legitimate, you know, high quality testing data. Because we knew that at the very beginning, we needed to be testing a lot to kind of see the scale of which this virus was going to kind of affect life here. Um, It became very clear early on that the CDC didn't have that data, that really nobody had that data, that we were basically going to have to ask for it from 56 different sources being states and jurisdictions, states and territories. Yeah. So, so tell us about you stepping into your role as the communication lead at the, and, and then tell us what is what is the COVID tracking project? Is that like, like Jack Bowers, you know, whatever, are you guys like in some bunker headquarters? Like to me, it sounds like the coolest space. I know you guys were all digital or virtual, but tell us, tell tell us a little bit about the birth of the, and you did a little bit, the birth of COVID tracking project, but, but again, what the main goal here was. Um, so the goal of COVID tracking project was to essentially aggregate all of the data related to COVID testing cases, hospitalizations and deaths and put them in one place because we couldn't find it anywhere else. We couldn't find mm. a single source like what we expected from the CDC yeah. to have all that data. And it yeah. started with just wanting testing data and it turned into kind of tracking the most of the impact of the pandemic in the United States. And um, because I had worked in something very similar and that we were tracking and basically uh, measuring the emergence of um, emerging threats, uh, I reached out to the creators of the COVID tracking project who were journalists at The Atlantic and quickly got thrown into the slack and just like rolled my sleeves up. One of the first things we did, I joined in early April. One of the first things we did was we made a 55 page white paper, essentially um, comparing CDC data with what we were collecting and identifying where there were differences and where we could, you know, try to standardize this. And we, Carlos, we legitimately thought that mid-May we would be done. We didn't, this was never intended, no, never intended to be a whole year long, you know, behemoth project that involved hundreds of volunteers, hundreds, people who gave their time to do this public service. I mean, it was I don't use this phrase lightly, but this is probably the most meaningful work that I will ever do in my life, the wow. time that I spent at COVID Tracking wow. Project, because it was just so 
for the most altruistic reasons to provide this public service because public health data is exactly that. It belongs to the public and nobody yeah. can find it in a really clear way. Wow. Um, so I started doing uh, science communication stuff because we were pushing out so much content that was yeah. really sciencey and epi heavy. And I just wanted to help us make sure that we were not, uh, you know, cause we were very clear, like we weren't pandemic, we weren't pandemic modelers. We weren't right. doing things from a clinical side, but we right. had people from various backgrounds. We had epidemiologists, we had journalists, we had data scientists, we had, you know, um, data infrastructure people who made this kind of beautiful symphony kind of appear out of nowhere. Yeah. Yeah. Oh my gosh. That it, it, it was, you know, when, when you guys began to do that, what it did for us, you know, what it did for so many people, you know, so many people already know that you're on my podcast today. I, I didn't say it on my Instagram. I was like, I'm, you know, interviewing one of my favorite. And there was like, tell her, thank you. Tell her, thank you. All these people are like, you know, just thanking you because honestly, like you're right. There was nowhere we could go. There was nowhere we could go to find what we needed to find by. Um, and, and, and that's a problem, right? Yeah. That 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 yeah. that's a problem. Like that, like that's something that maybe should be handled by the government, but wasn't. Um, is, is that is there hopes that there's going to be better tracking and data and analytics that can that that can come from maybe the people that we put into office that that are there to protect us and give us all of the things that we need to know in order to stay safe. Yes. I mean, again, with these amazing questions, Carlos, <laughs> that, you know, we are, we're hopeful for that, right? I think yeah. that this has been a horrible lesson to learn in this manner um, yeah. because the deaths were so catastrophic and so preventable. It did not have to be this bad. It really did wow. not. If we had invested in public health, if we had prioritized things like testing and tracing yeah. and isolating folks who were uh, sick with the virus in the beginning, um, it, it just got so ahead of us. And mm. that disadvantage is something that we're still paying for, you know? Yeah. Um, you know, there have been, when we found out uh, during the elections that the Biden-Harris team was exclusively using our data to basically inform their COVID-19 policy stuff, that was incredibly humbling because it was wow. showing us that there was really no other place to look. Yeah. yeah. Now, here's the thing. I don't, I'm not here to just bash the CDC. The CDC is still a premier public health agency, but they sure. got stuck in a lot of politics and they yeah. were not able to do the kind of work that they have been historically uh, tasked to do and supposed to do. Mm. Um, and I think now that we have this terrible hindsight, yeah. uh, they're working really hard to fix that. Even from a yeah. science communication perspective, they're trying to mitigate that. And I think here's the other thing. Yeah. The pandemic's not even close to being done in the sense that, that people have to be managing a lot more data yeah. And now is the test. Like, are we going to continue? Are they, because we handed the torch over, we gave it back to the federal sources. You you did. So COVID tracking project gave yeah. everything over. You guys are done. I mean, it was public to begin with. It wasn't really sure. a kind of formal takeover or handover, but we stopped data collection on March 7th because we okay. said at this point, it is now clear that the federal government between HHS and CDC is, is able to provide this data to a you know, decent level of granularity, go there because yeah. this is the federal government's job. You know, we, right. again, not intend to do something that wasn't supposed to be done by the federal government. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Okay. So, okay. Okay. So back now, now, now I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to move it back into your home, move it back into your, how many kids do you have? 
I have two kids. Two beautiful kids. You guys are, um, you guys are, what, what's the word? We're not using lockdown. What are we using? You are sheltering in place. Yes. Yes, you're sheltering yeah. in place. Uh, you got your phone, right? You're, you're COVID tracking, but you're also like, I'm going to put up a video. I'm going to yeah. this and that. T- talk to us a little bit about when when kind of your Instagram became like, when you were like, oh my gosh, what I've got this one job with COVID, but now I got this other job, keeping all these people, stopping them from freaking out and also keeping them from making mistakes on, yeah. you know, on, online. Talk to us about when that kind of, you, your Instagram kind of started to, started to soar. Yeah. This is actually a really funny story because if, you know, I got asked when I was in grad school many times, like, what are you most anxious about? What are you afraid of? Like now that you're in, everybody thought that I worked for like the CIA or something because right. the kind of work that I did, never did. But they were like, what do you, what keeps you up at night? And I would always say a respiratory disease that becomes a pandemic. No like, way. Absolutely. And and here's the thing. There's nothing clairvoyant about that statement. Anybody sure. who knew the work that I did and did the work with me knew that it was always a matter of when, not if. Wow. So when this happened, I, all my friends who knew me from back then are blowing up my phone being like, hey, what's going on? What's a SARS-CoV-2? What's a this? What's a that? And just asking me lots and lots of similar questions. And I thought, oh, I'll, I'll do a couple stories. I literally said, I'll do a couple stories to just okay. define some terms for people so that they understand how to read these headlines. Literally thought it would be like five stories. <laughs> Oh, wow. So thing called common questions in my stories. Meanwhile, I had never posted a story before. I had probably no like way. 900 followers. Never. No way. You you weren't like you weren't like this like, you know, San Francisco like influencer kid, mom mom no. blogger. Oh. No. No, I was a science nerd who did my work quietly behind the behind the scenes with two kids and my pictures on my Instagram were both mainly wow. The pictures <laughs> on my Instagram were mostly pictures on vacation with my family. Yes. Yes. Like that's well, it. I know that it was really soon after, after this happened that I started following you because I remember looking back, I remember looking at your Instagram and I think there may have been one or two or yeah. maybe three posts about, about COVID and everything yeah. else was, you know, yeah, it was just your kids. It was like them on, with their toes yeah. in the sand. Totally. Okay. And I yeah. mean, I had been in like vaccine space and working on vaccine stuff. So I think maybe I had done a couple things here and there on vaccine advocacy. Uh-huh. Um, but I, again, I was never really using my personal platform to do that because I was working with so many bigger clients and I would basically help them create content for their sure. channels. And so it wasn't sure. really about me. Yeah. Um, and so eventually some friends started being like, Hey, I think you should like be more like, do this more, like keep yeah. doing it. And yeah. why don't you do an Instagram live with Sophia? Because Sophia Bush is a friend of mine. Okay. She reached out and she's like, let's just do a quick, kind of, you know, rapid fire Q and a, and that's kind of really when it all started. Um, we did this Instagram live that, uh, ended up being two hours long. We learned early on that it can only be an hour and we got back on and did a whole second hour because there were so many questions. Yeah. And that kind of create, it it made it very clear that there was a captive audience on Instagram for this kind of stuff. Oh, sure. No, it was, I remember when that kind of started to explode for you. And yeah. um, I mean, it, you know, here we, we find ourselves, I mean, I don't know how many followers you have now over 250,000, I think last I checked. Yeah. Um, what, what do you, what do you, I mean, do you feel what, what sort of responsibility do you feel with that? Do you feel any? A ton of responsibility because, and I, you know, I cringe at the word influencer because my, uh-huh. my goal is really not to influence it's to educate 
It's to inform so that people make choices on their own without feeling shame and confusion and anger and all these sentiments that obviously come up when something like this happens. Um, You know, science communication is not just like debunking and and scoffing and mocking at people who don't get it, right? Like to me, it's about it can only move as fast as the trust is earned. And so yeah. my goal is increasing people's science literacy, increasing their data literacy so that they're not walking around feeling like I don't know how to navigate this because yeah. pandemics are scary. Like they're yeah. super, super scary and disorienting. And I, I would argue nothing is more destabilizing than a pandemic, not even yeah. war. Wow. So, um, you know, feeling that with every post, Mm. remembering the person who might feel ostracized by this or remembering the person who might feel judged by this. And I'm not perfect. And I've probably made some people feel otherized in some of my language, but I try really, really hard to be inclusive and to be kind and empathetic in how I talk about science because for too long, people didn't really, one, see scientists that looked like me and two, feel invited into the conversation. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Gosh, so many things I could uh, jump off from that point. Um, let's go here. You, you, you talk about talking about science with empathy, looking at people kind of, kind of how, as they come, right? Like where most, most people that are coming, like have no idea what anything is. I I don't even know how to catch a cold, you know, like my Mm -hmm. mom told me how I, how it could happen, but like, really, like, I really didn't understand that. And so, yes, like, the majority of people that you're communicating with, especially at the beginning of 2020, had like zero desire to even care about yeah. about this kind of stuff. Now, yeah. talk to me. Talk to me about how you, because you know, you you do. I think you do a really good job at speaking. Um, you know, with with grace, with for even with people that like like disagree with with what you may be presenting. But talk to me a little bit about. When you realized, okay, wait a second, suddenly there is, we're not only fighting this pandemic, we're not only fighting COVID-19, but now, because I saw it shift in your in what you're doing, now I have to go from, from fighting a pandemic by giving people the best information they can and data that we're giving them to fighting absolute and complete craziness in... Yeah. Um, you know, now we've got, you know, uncle Jed who, you know, has, you know, some sort of moonshine down the corner who is like, Hey, listen, like I drank this moonshine and I had COVID and now it's gone. And then uncle Jed's Facebook post goes to 500 people. Talk to us about when you realize, Holy crap, as big of a deal as COVID is, it's just as big of a deal as disinformation and misinformation. Yeah. Oh yeah, Jessica is about to go there with grace, of course. Hey, listen, but before Jessica goes there, I wanted to stop for just a few seconds to remind you of a conversation that we had two episodes ago, episode 13. I don't know if you guys remember, I released an episode with two people that literally embody human hope by definition. I am still so inspired by the conversation I had with Don and Bridget Brewster of Agape International Missions. Guys, listen, I meant it when I said AIM is doing whatever it takes to fight sex trafficking. And this part's stunning to me. They have hope that this literally can be defeated in our lifetime. So listen, 
I want to tell you really quickly the freedom story of a girl whose life was dramatically transformed. It blows my mind that this is a true story. So when Anna, okay, I changed her name to protect her story. When Anna was 14, her virginity was sold to a man hoping literally to increase his luck while gambling at a casino. She was kept in his hotel room for three days until she was sent back home. Two weeks later, she was sold to a brothel. After 22 days of being sold for sex, she was able to get her hands on a phone to call a friend to help get her out. Her friend knew AIM and they called Agape right away and AIM started figuring out details and planning the rescue. Then Anna called again. She said the brothel owner moved them to a different location and she didn't know where she was, but she bravely told the brothel owner that she called AIM and AIM was coming to get her. So guess what? The brothel owner, he was freaking out. He kicked her out. Well, she came straight to AIM and gave intel on where the brothel was. And AIM ended up rescuing every single girl there and arresting the owner. Now listen, as a father, this part makes me nauseous. During the trial that put the brothel owner in prison, evidence was submitted that revealed that in 22 days, Anna was sold to 198 men in 22 days. This shouldn't be a reality. 198. The beautiful thing about the story though, it's not the end. She entered AIM and later she got a safe job making jewelry. At night, she studied to become a social worker and now she's actually part of AIM's SWAT team as a rescue team social worker. She's one of the first people that a girl meets after she's rescued from trafficking. How beautiful full circle is that, guys? Here's the sad and sick truth. Human trafficking is a multi-billion dollar industry and the amount of resources going towards saving women and children, it doesn't match up, but we, we can change that. We can be part of rescue stories like this. We can reverse the power of a billion dollar industry and become part of the solution. So right now, if literally just 25 of you commit to give $10 a month, you can be part of someone's freedom story just like Anna. And by doing this, you become a part of what we call the village, AIM's passionate community of monthly donors. These people are doing whatever they can to end the evil of trafficking. You can join them in that fight. It's a small sacrifice for most of us, but literally can transform someone's life. Check out aimfree.org slash Carlos to join me in the work of freedom. Yeah, I mean, I would say that before it even started because misinformation and disinformation uh, go hand in hand with infectious disease outbreaks. I, you know, prior to COVID-19 was very, very involved in vaccine advocacy and vaccine education. That is a extremely ripe place with misinformation and conspiracy theories and disinformation and a lot of really charged language. And so, you know, infodemic is the word that we use to describe an overwhelming amount of information, not always bad, but also bad. Um, that goes kind of hand in hand with an outbreak of an actual pathogen. And you are always combating the outbreak of those two things at the same time. That goes way back to like the history of even smallpox and how people understood the vaccine and um, how people perceived the science of it and what it would do to your body. And so very early in the pandemic, when it became clear that we would probably have to have a vaccine in our arsenal to kind of combat this, Um, Many of us were bracing ourselves for that community, the anti-vaccine community, to get their playbook ready to go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and here and again, I want to make sure everyone that's listening understands this and where Jessica's come from and I'm coming from. 
We're not saying that if you don't want to get a vaccine that you're suddenly a conspiracy theorist. Like that's no. not, uh, that's not what we're saying. Um, but there are people in communities that their sole purpose is to provide misinformation and disinformation so that um, a certain, you know, a certain narrative, I hate the, I hate the word narrative. First of all, I, I, yeah. I hate it, but a certain, you know, point of view gets, um, gets seen. And, you know, it became confusing. I'm telling you, and it still is. It's just as confusing right now. Uh, that's at the root. That that's at the root of 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 everybody that may be um, uh, may maybe spreading disinformation. I, yeah. I believe that there, there is a core um, human fear that that that's human, and and I and I'm okay with that. I'm okay with there there being fear. Yeah. But what but but what I'm so grateful for with you is that you have you know come along and really i don't know how exhausting it is for everybody i don't know how many times i've done it probably 30 times so i can't imagine the 250,000 other people but hey jessica can you help me with this article because you know it's so yeah. suddenly you become like article debunker um yeah. and uh and and is is that as exhausting as we would imagine it is exhausting when folks don't really understand like the boundaries of the fact that I am doing this for free. And right. a lot of people turn me into like their COVID concierge and send me yeah. like detailed explanations of like the wedding party that they're planning and like who's uh. from where and which person has been tested on what date. And I'm like, I just can't do this. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I do think to go back to your point before that, though, I think that's a really important distinction of like how I speak in the sense that I don't want to group people into groups that they don't belong in and also yeah. recognize that those groups are not fully um, monolithic. Right. Right. When we talk about anti-vaccine, I'm talking about a loud minority. Yeah. I am here mostly for those who feel hurt by medical medical industry, like people yeah. who have legitimate medical distrust and trauma, people who feel hesitant because they're overwhelmed by the amount of information, people who have had legitimate um, concerns for legitimate issues that they've had in the past, either with vaccines or medicine. Um, and those are where the, those conversations can actually happen and can be fruitful. I'm not here yeah. to debate with conspiracy theorists. There's no fruitfulness in that. Yeah. And I think a lot of people are here to kind of see like that sparring and the like, who has the more witty comeback. That's not productive and that causes right. more harm. In fact, right before the pandemic in November of 2019, I was at a vaccine science communication conference and yeah. we were talking specifically about like, the ways in which we can be, you know, helpful and not cause more harm because mm. it, we don't always need more voices on a topic in that sense. Right. Cause right. you can just create more confusion. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, you know, I think that even in the ways that I, or in the, in the amount of like airspace I give certain conspiracies or even kind of questions, I try to like help people understand like this is where we should be prioritizing our attention. These are mm. red herrings here. These are things that are intended to cause you to feel all these feelings. And you're right. Fear is a common denominator. Yeah. So is hurt. So is distrust. So is yeah. pain. So are all these things. And if you look at the common denominator of a lot of the claims and the misinformation, yeah. it is intended to trigger those emotions. It is wow. intended to incite fear, to incite yeah. panic and to go for the jugular. When you start talking about really sensitive things like yeah. fertility and kids, um, it's, it's predictable in that sense, you know? Sure. Sure. Wow. Gosh, that, that is, that is so good because what I want listeners to hear is this. I want you, I, I want you to hear that, that, 
what what Jessica's desire, honestly, what my desire is when I talk about this stuff as well, when I lead people in, is like we know that there's distrust because of trauma that has happened in 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 your medical history. There is trauma that's happened. Yeah. So like like somebody that that is scared to get a vaccine because something has happened in their life, that they're able to have a conversation yep. with Jessica. They're able to have a conversation with people. And and that is the goal, right? The goal here is to help people through conversation, not through debate and not through scare tactics and not through yeah. all of these things. And again, that that's where my whole thing on don't stand on issues, walk with people, you know, um, we, you know, if you're willing to be walked with and actually have a conversation, again, the goal isn't just to get one person to think like the other, but it yeah. really is to have a conversation, you know? Yeah. And I would say that you, you as a scientist are open to learning more you you are that's the whole that's point. the whole point <laughs> the whole point <laughs> the whole point here is you know so when everyone's like oh my gosh like Fauci said one thing in February 2020 and he's saying something in you know in whatever whatever month we're in 2021 I'm like isn't that the point like like yeah. aren't we supposed to go from like hey we know we know a little bit and we're gonna say this to now we know a lot more and so we're gonna say this right Yes, exactly. And I think that's exactly the part in which we've kind of failed our society in training them to even understand the scientific process that like there is strength, there is confidence that can be built when you say, I don't know, or I don't yeah. know yet. Even in epidemiology, so many of the answers to questions that we get are, it depends. It depends right. on so many variables. It depends on when you tested this and when you asked these people this question, when you did your survey. And it's it's so, there's so many variables. And to speak with absolutism, I think, is just being a bully to bullies, right? Yeah. I'm not going to bully people or bulldoze people and be like, trust science, believe science. Like yeah. those statements don't mean anything unless I am actually sharing all the ins and outs even the things that are still gray or still in yeah. process so that people know that I'm not here making superlative claims that are absolutely finite. There are some absolutes in science though. We have, we yeah. know that vaccines save lives, but yeah. there is also a reality of that. Everything involves risk, right? Yeah. And we have to understand humans are just really bad at measuring risk. That's just, yeah. there it is. is. There the humans are bad. At really bad at understanding risk. Like we will happily do things that make no sense because we've become familiar with it. Things wow. that just are muscle memory. But yeah. you know, the difference between things like risk and hazard, like if I go into the ocean that has sharks, am I going to get eaten by a shark? Uh -huh. Probably no, but your mind is going to only think about that shark in the ocean. Absolutely. You can kind of take that analogy to a lot of applications of understanding what individual risk is. And I think we've now had a, crash course in understanding that everything yeah. from how do we reduce risk before vaccines and yeah. now that we have vaccines, how do we especially reduce risk by getting yeah. them? You know? Yeah. 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 No, that's good. Okay. Okay. I think, I think we're, Oh no, I got one more question and then I'm going to get into some, some actual questions from listeners. Um, okay. Talk, talk to me about, um, you know, you, you made a statement a couple minutes ago, how there's, there's not a lot of scientists uh, or people that communicate this or epidemiologists that look like you talk yeah. to us about being a person of color and a female and, and how, um, how that's become something that I, you know, I see, I see a lot of pride in you in that. And there should be to talk to me a little bit about, about just that feeling and maybe, maybe some of the, um, the setbacks or, or hard things about that. And then maybe some of the things that you're enjoying about it. Yeah. Yeah. I, you know, a lot of my 
history in this space um, was being celebrated as a woman of color and also being, you know, torn down for being Mm. a woman of color. Um, I had an employer one time who told me to get a blowout, like blow dry my hair straight before we had a client meeting the next day. Wow. Um, You know, just to look more professional. Oh, yeah, professional. Right. Right. You know, and and that all those things kind of like the good things and the bad are always circulating in my mind because, and as you mentioned, I have two kids. My oldest is a girl. She has been home with me every single day within arm's reach of me (laughs) at any given time. And I want her to know that like, there's still a long way to go, but we're here Mm -hmm. now and we're we're in the world is starting to value, you know, people who look like me. And when it comes to having um, space and a voice to talk about science, um, to talk about things that really matter. And I think that that's really motivating for me. Um, I don't take it for granted that, that right now, like, I think Dr. Kuzmikia Corbett is like one of the best examples of how we've evolved as a society that can now recognize that a black woman immunologist, virologist was able to be one of the pioneers of one of the most breakthrough science discoveries ever of mRNA vaccines to help a pandemic. Like that is, that to me is mind blowing, mind blowing to be in that orbit, to be part of that collective effort to kind of turn people's gaze from what has historically been white male dominant led institutions and research groups and voices and quotes and press releases and all that stuff. Like it's not lost on me. None of that is lost on me. Yeah, it is. Um, I I'm just so proud of you. So I, you know, I'm, I'm proud of watching you. I'm proud of knowing you. Um, and, uh, it's, you're just, you're doing a great job. And, and my daughters, you know, I've got, I've got, um, two daughters and one of them follows you and she, I, I watch her watch your stories and she is, she's darker skinned than me and she lives in a different reality than a lot of her friends do. But watching her watch you makes me tear up because, um, she's, she's really intelligent and I know she's going to change the world like you are. Um, okay. So here, here we go. Let, let's, let's get into, um, let's just get into some nitty gritty. Um, I'll just, I'll just start, I'll, I'll just start out with the, just the big one. Not everybody wants to get vaccinated. Everyone, everyone is, is, um, has a different various opinions. Just, just why don't you just state to state right now to us why you feel, uh, that the, that the, the best solution, I don't, I don't, I don't want to say best that tell us why we need to get vaccinated. I can't even yeah. ask you the freaking question. Right. So just, yeah. just tell us. I mean, when it comes down to it, this, This virus, this pandemic has affected all of us because we are all connected. Hmm. And the best way to get out of this is to do this together. And each vaccine gets us closer and closer to this virus being outsmarted by the collective human race and being like, no, not anymore. We're done. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That's good. Now I'm, I'm about to be, I'm about to be all the people in my DMS when I say this. So, so when I reply back to you with, with these questions, you're going to help me reply back to them. But Jessica, but, um, I mean, yeah, we're all in this together, but but I mean, ninety nine point nine 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 percent of people are are going to be just fine. So, like, why do I need to get a vaccine? It's just not a true statistic for one and two. We're about to hit a horrible milestone again: six hundred thousand deaths just in the U.S., millions across the world. You can't say that anymore. There are too many people who have died to say, oh, the statistical outcome is not that bad. Not to mention the fact that death is not the only measure of severity or badness. 
yeah. right? There are people who have been dealing with long-term, I know people who yeah. got sick over a year ago and still can't taste or smell properly, wow. who are dealing with issues with their heart, issues with their nervous system. This disease is cruel. And even yeah. if most people don't die, many people have, and many yeah. people still can. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but what, I mean, like I should just like take care of my body, right? Like if I just like eat better, take care of my body and exercise, like I don't, I don't need a vaccine because like I, I am, uh, just eating great food and taking care of my body. Like why, why would I need to, you know, take again, I'm, I'm just, I'm being everyone. Yeah, uh, no, totally. why, why, why do I need to have a vaccine if, um, if, if my body was created to handle, um, diseases anyway. I wish it was that simple. I'll start by saying food is not medicine. Okay. We should be grateful that we have innovations like medicine because our body doesn't know what it doesn't know. Think about it this way. Your brain is your brain, but without information, it's useless, right? You oh, okay. your brain information to train your brain to remember things to live your life. Our yeah. immune system is the same thing. Our immune system is great on its own, but it gets trained through life. It gets trained as we get sick. It gets trained as we train it to recognize viruses before they come because those viruses are more dangerous, you know, if you actually get it. So your immune system is worthless unless you're actually wow. training it and using it, right? I think a lot of people are like, I'm not going to get the vaccine because I have an immune system. Like, no, you get the vaccine because you have an immune system. Mm. I see. I see. No, that's good. That's good. Um, again, and, and these are these are questions I'm getting from people that are really close to me, right? Like people that that yeah. that really are concerned that they want to know. I'm, I'm good. I'm just going to go straight to my stories because I asked yesterday. And so now I'm going to pull it up. OK, a lot of the questions I'm getting are about um, this is from my friend Lettered Cottage. Um, how well can the vaccine protect people against this Delta strain? I don't I don't I, I guess this is the, the strain that's yeah. been sweeping through India. Talk to us about that. We're still learning, right? I think that it's clear that the Delta strain is concerning and that, uh, you know, we need to be keeping transmission low and vaccines high. So far, the data that we have right now shows that the vaccines that we have are good at preventing, you know, infection with this virus, with, with even the, the variants. Now, wow. we don't have enough data to understand the effectiveness data yet, but we know that having the vaccine is going to be much better than not having it when it comes to your risk of getting or getting severely sick with any version of the virus now. Okay. Okay. That's good. Um, what can you tell us about the vaccine shedding myth? Yeah. So there's no live virus in the vaccines. It's literally impossible to shed anything because there's nothing, there's no virus to shed. Um, it was based on very, very unscientific misinformation that people were experiencing things um, unrelated to the vaccine by being in proximity to other people in the vaccine. But shedding only happens if your body is replicating virus and okay. shedding it to others. That's how we infect other people. But the Got virus, it. the vaccines don't have viruses in them. Okay. This is good. This is good. People are, people are just getting... People are lining up down at their CVS right now as they're listening to this podcast. I, I love it. Um, okay, this is from Chica Banana. She asks, how susceptible, uh, I can't really read this, uh, how susceptible am into COVID if I'm fully vaccinated but others around me aren't? I, yeah, I think they're, they're just asking that. So yeah. what we call breakthrough cases are when people can still get COVID if they're fully vaccinated. The incidence yeah. is extremely low, but that's why we say nothing is perfect. And the more right. people that are vaccinated, the less likelihood that will happen. You are, for the most part, at very low risk of getting sick and getting severely sick and shedding the virus to others if you're fully vaccinated, but the risk is not zero. Okay. Okay. Got it. Got it. Because there's a risk. We have to understand yeah. 
We have to, when we get in the ocean, there's a shark, but it's probably not going to eat our leg. Exactly. Um, okay. So is it truly safe for vaccinated and unvaccinated people to be together? Safe is right. It's not something that can be easily quantified in that regard, right. but the data has shown that if you're fully vaccinated, like I mentioned before, you're at a very low risk of getting the vaccine, but the less people who are, you know, unvaccinated, that means that the virus doesn't have a place to go. A virus can only spread if it has a host to infect. When we mm. get vaccinated, we're essentially creating a dead end. And the virus is like, oh, can't go there. I got to go somewhere okay. else. Okay. Okay. No, that's good. Um, oh, this is a great question. I've never thought of this one. <clears throat> Should we prepare ourselves to live the rest of our lives with COVID as a potential illness? Or is it possible to eradicate it like polio? Or will it likely mutate ongoing, ongoing? Very good question. It is very unlikely that COVID is going to be completely gone for a while, but it could become very manageable in the same way that H1N1 has become a circulating virus after that pandemic. And the more people that are vaccinated, the more bodies that are trained to not get sick or severely sick from it, the more, the less disruptive the virus will be. It is possible it could become endemic, but it's also potentially possible in the future as years go by that we get rid of it completely. Okay. That's great. That's great. Um, Hang on one second. Okay, here we go. What other illnesses have we learned about from COVID? Any new vaccine possibilities? Is that even yes. something that has happened? Yes, the mRNA vaccine technology is being explored right now for HIV, for influenza, for um, uh, RSV, which is a respiratory virus that affects kids that are typically uh, three and under. Um, so it is that technology is being explored for other viruses. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> Should we still wear masks if we're vac vaccinated, but high risk? So that depends, right? So high risk is a very broad spectrum of folks. There are people who are okay. high risk, who are organ transplant recipients, who are really not in a great place oftentimes post-vaccination. They don't have as strong of an immune response. I would say yes, especially those people who are in high risk in high risk settings. But for the most part, um, you know, you are not at a great risk of getting it or shedding it if you're vaccinated. Now that said, these are guidelines for individual use. There are going to be rules about vaccines that will, I mean, about masks that will continue in private yep. places for a lot longer. Yep. Yep. Okay. No, that's good. Oh, you're so good. This is so fun. You're so good at this. Um, <laughs> I love it. I love it. Okay. Here, okay. Here's a, here's a question. Uh, and maybe you haven't even heard of the study. Someone just says, and again, as, uh, you always, I always get nervous when someone says a new study because I don't know what that means. Uh, but someone says, a new study of over 50,000 employees from Cleveland Health System shows no point in getting vaccinated if you've had COVID. Would love to hear your thoughts on this study if you've even heard of this study. So I haven't heard of the study yet. I haven't read it yet. Um, there is a lot of data to show that people who have been previously infected mount pretty decent responses, but they do not compare. They do not even compare to people who've been vaccinated. Those antibodies really? are not the same, that you are a much, and in fact, you're probably at a best advantage if you've had it and gotten the vaccine. And, okay. Those kinds of um, antibody levels are quite high. Really? Okay. So, so if you, so again, just being blatant here, if you have had COVID, you should still, you're, in your opinion, you should still get the vaccine. Absolutely. Because natural immunity is, is not, a fixed kind of response. Some people have some antibodies. Some people have a lot. Some people don't have any. There's okay. no way to kind of guarantee what the vaccine typically guarantees, which is these robust T cells and B cells immunity with memory that lasts a long time. Okay. Wow. 
You're literally answering all the questions as I'm going through. Like, I'm like, nope, she, she answered that one. She answered that one. Um, okay. Um, no, no, you kind of answered that one too. Um, okay, here's a good one. This is a great one. Was there anything that you thought early on with COVID that you found out wasn't correct or that you learned was different? Is there something at the beginning that maybe as you, as a scientist, ev- evolved in what you, in the data that you saw, you saw maybe was different? Yeah. So I think that there was in the beginning, a lot of concern over like, um, you know, possible uh, transmission from like poop, you know, like right. there was concern because it's gastro disease for yeah. some people. That, like, could you get it from like the toilet? Could you get it from like having contamination from that or from the food or from like any kind of like hand or fomite or gastro contamination. And that's really not the main driver of transmission. It's been much more uh, clear that the respiratory route through droplets from person to person is the main driver of infections. Okay. Okay. Great. Uh, here's another question that I don't, I don't know the basis of it. So, you know, um, why are there various opinions about vaccines and masks from various medical professionals? Well, I would say that there are, I mean, humans are humans, right? They're not, you know, always going to have the same mindset. Um, There's all kinds of reasons for that. But I would say the scientific consensus is what we need to be looking for. Um, And the consensus is clear that vaccines work, that masks work, that when you see those hot takes or groups of people who kind of deviate from consensus, um, there's not a lot of evidence to back that up. Okay. Okay. No, that's good. Um, so we're looking at we're looking at this again at uh, we want to get past the opinions of humans and just exactly. get to the data just get to the data. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I'll, I'll just I'll just ask I'll I'll let this one person ask the the mask question because we're, I'm kind of like over people talking about masks. But um, someone's asking why since masks don't work for influenza quoted CDC February 2020 did flu flu cases drop last year. Can they address the long hauler findings that almost half didn't test for COVID? Okay, this is somebody that obviously is 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 thinking that um, masks don't work. Yeah, that's well, well, not a true statement. I think that okay. what they're trying to confuse it, they're confusing it with what Dr. Fauci said in his emails about what we know that the you know we don't anticipate it working like it typically work could work uh-huh. for us another virus, but we know that flu was extremely low for a variety of reasons. Number one, we had the highest number of flu vaccines that we've ever had in any season. Number two, masks. Masks reduced transmission a lot. Number three, schools were closed. Schools are often major drivers of flu outbreaks and spreading flu within families and communities. And number four, the flu is oftentimes when you're sick with flu, you know it. There isn't as much asymptomatic spread with something like flu, because when you have it, you're probably sick at home and people were already home. So it's for a combination of reasons that flu was down, including masks. Well, yeah, I mean, I'm not an epidemiologist and I knew why flu was down. I'm like, cause ain't (laughs) nobody hanging out with each other. Like, come on people. Um, Okay. uh, Here's one. Musical mama wants to know, Jessica, she even wrote Jessica cause she knows. Jessica, is it almost over? Exclamation point, question mark. This, I just got chills and like feeling yeah. kind of emotional. If we're getting yeah. there, right? Like I, yeah. I, I have often said that my hope is that the holidays this year look very different than they did last year. Mm. Oh my gosh. I got chills with you saying that too. I, I hope so too. Uh, okay. A, lo- a lot of parents are vaccinated, but they're saying they're a little nervous about having their kids yeah. vaccinated. So talk to us about um, the 
Okay, no. Uh, okay, ask that one first, and then I got one more for you, uh, and then we'll we'll close out. Yeah. So understandable. I mean, I think that there's a lot of concerns because people are like, you know, trying to make informed choices for their kids, but these safety and efficacy standards are no different um, for okay. the kids. They're looking for the same kinds of things, and the data that we got from the nine to twelve year old group, I mean, the twelve to fifteen year old group was just fantastic, super mm. well tolerated, super safe, safe and effective. And they're going to be checking on every you know age group, age de escalation. They'll do nine to twelve, then six to nine, then two months to six uh, years um, okay. and then down. And they're going to be, you know, allocating even the dosage based on the body size too. So uh, it will, it's not going to just be like blanket recommendation. It's based on the right. data. We don't make any predictions about the data. It's based on what we see from the trials. Data. And the trials well. Okay. So, so now talk to us about data and fertility. There's a lot of people that are nervous. I'll be honest with you. Like even when my daughters were like, dad, I want to get the vaccine. I was like, oh my gosh, I need to talk to Jessica. Like, because I'm like, I'm seeing a lot of information out there about fertility and yeah. studies and we haven't studied it long enough and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. So there's a ton of data now to show that it does not impact fertility. It doesn't have any negative effect on the placenta. It doesn't do anything to the proteins that they believe um, are you know, similar enough to the proteins that are involved in the development of the placenta. Um, okay. And there is no precedent for it, right? Like there's no biological precedent for something like this to happen because the vaccines don't stay in the body very long. They kind of do their job and then they're done. Oh, and then they're done. They're not hanging out in us. No, the vaccines stay in your body for like 48 to 72 hours max. The long-term okay. effect is a trained immune system. What's remaining <laughs> is your antibodies that are there like, okay, now we know. <laughs> okay, that's good. That's good. Um, and then um, oh, this is facility. There was one other one I wanted to get to here. Um, All COVID questions. I, I I know, and I told them to not. I told them to ask other questions besides COVID. But ain't nobody want to think about anything else besides COVID right now. Everyone's just like, I love you. I love you, Jessica. Tell Jessica I love her. I love her. everyone. Loves you. Uh, when will we need a vaccine booster? That's a good question. We don't know yet. We don't okay. know. It has not been established yet, but we're preparing for the boosters just in case. Okay. Okay. Oh, here's a good one. What are some legit reasons to not get the vaccine? There is not a legit reason to not get the vaccine unless you have a very specific allergy to polyethylene glycol, which is the active ingredient in Marilax, or you okay. have a specific history of extremely bad reactions to vaccines and you are told by your provider to not get it. There okay. is no other reason to not get it. Wow. Wow. That's strong. That's a strong statement. Stand by you stand it. Stand by that. Yep. You stand by it. Yep. Okay. Um, I mean, you're just awesome. I mean, you're answering all these questions. And and a lot of here, just so you guys know, like Jessica, you do have all your Q and A's like saved in yeah. highlights, right? Yes, all of them. Okay. Um, I'm I, I love you. You are just <laughs> you're amazing. And I just want to say thank you so much not just for this human hope podcast i mean that's fine i'm glad that you hung out with me here but just for what you've done honestly i don't want to like blow things up too big here but for for humanity like it really you're the the work you've done is truly remarkable and i am forever indebted uh by knowing you thank you so much amiga you carlos you're gonna make me cry that's really sweet uh, oh friends Life-changing episode. Ooh. Listen to understand, not to reply. First time that was ever said was 1988. My dad made me read that book, Seven Habits of Highly Effective People. But Stephen Covey said it first, and it's right. 
Listen to understand, not to reply. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Jessica, so much for what you've done for us. Uh, what you've done for the planet, to be honest. All right. Well, that's it. No fluff here. This is what I want you to do. Like, subscribe, subscribe, subscribe. Please subscribe to the podcast. Let your friends and familia know what we do up here in Human Hope. And I will see you next Thursday for another episode of Human Hope.